Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. You're listening to The Source with Andrea Lawful Sanders on Word Radio. Streaming live on wordradio.com and the Word Radio app. Niall Blast currently serves as the DMV regional organizer for the League of Women Voters of the United States, overseeing strategic planning and capacity building initiatives at the DMV and national levels. In particularly, in particular, she works to develop innovative programming at the League for young voters and voters of color. Notably, she made history during the pandemic by becoming the first black woman elected as Georgetown University's student body president, leading an administration that provided financial stipends, career development programs, developmental programs, and secure housing and essential resources to foster an active online student committee com- community. I love this young sister because she gives us such a perspective, um, especially for those who have been voting forever and ever a day. Um, Niall's diverse experience includes roles at the House Judiciary Committee on Capitol Hill and with the Maryland General Assembly, a Washington, D.C. native. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Government from Georgetown University. Good morning, my sister. How are you? How are you? I am so good. So today you're going, we're going to talk about any uh, pertinent information in regard to news updates and opinions on the political landscape for young voters and voters of color. Today is Martin Luther King's birthday, uh, January 15th. We're all working on a day of service. Uh, President Joe Biden is coming into Pennsylvania today to, um, to, you know, to be a part of all of this because it's an election year in large part. Um, and so we have a lot to discuss, but I want you and I to focus on trends for young voters. Um, a young, a young voter, a little bit older than you, wrote an, a piece this morning to me stating that we, it, it, the, the elections for the Democrats are going to be really interesting this year because young people are having a hard time with the Biden-Harris ticket and funding Israel, right? And so, um, many of them, this young person says, will probably sit on their hands or just not do anything or go in another direction because they don't, you know, they're fighting for this. So tell me what are the trends that you're seeing with young voters and is any of what I just said to you, are you hearing any of that in the community at large? Yeah, so I think speaking kind of directly to that issue and maybe where that falls in overall voter participation with young people, I think two really unique traits are at play, especially when we're talking about Generation Z and how and when they vote. One is that this is probably one of the most intersectionally diverse populations of young people that we've had in decades. And what that means is that when we're talking about international politics and whether or not that's going to impact how you vote domestically or within your community, you're more likely to know people who are directly impacted by the issue, who have a cultural, maybe a personal or a demographic overlap. So it's hard to ignore it when those are your classmates, those are your neighbors and those are your friends. And then I think the second aspect of it is that we're dealing with a unique population of young people who have an above average rate of being first generation. So that means that inherent to their politics is what's happening where their family's from or where they're originally from. And so this idea of, yes, I live in Detroit or yes, I live in Philly and I do care about the school board here. I do care about the municipality here. What's motivating me is the top of the ballot. That's because that's the unfortunate uh, trend that we see with young people and just young voters or just voters at broad is that they don't give as much nuance and attention to the down ballot issue areas. What's getting me out of bed is the ticket item that is being advertised on major mainstream media, and that's always a presidential election. So if we're not motivated around that, we do lose a lot of overlap and we do lose a lot of participation. 
And so what does that mean? What what is the league uh, working on to get people more engaged in this process? Yeah. So um, in the coming weeks, uh, we're going to be launching a young voter program. I'm going to be managing it. And a really big part of that is making sure that our programming, so that's webinars, strategy sessions, data trend analysis, are aligning with as diverse and unique a democracy that we actually have. And that means speaking directly to the issue areas that are going to be bringing young people to and away from the ballot. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I work a lot with the Center for Information and Research on Civic Learning and Engagement. And I really appreciate them because they do nonpartisan research. It's very extensive. And I think it speaks to some of the intersections and nuances around young voters that we don't get when we're just talking about the age and not geographics or race and gender. And what we're seeing is that 86 percent of those who are under 35 who voted in 2022 are likely to vote or extremely likely to vote in 2024. So that kind of speaks to how voting is a habitual habit. And that means that we need to provide a unique and a specialized focus on young, on youth who have not cast a ballot in the past. Because once we get you in the ballot box, it's consistent. If you voted in 2020 or if you voted in 2022, you're more likely to vote this year. But when we look at the other aspects of those data trends, we are able to identify groups of young people who are saying they're less likely to vote or least likely to vote in 2024. And I think this is especially relevant to work that's going to be happening in Pennsylvania, but especially mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. And that's mm -hmm. black youth, non-white youth in rural communities, and then youth without college experience. And so that's mm -hmm. reflecting longstanding social and civic in uh, inequities and inequalities. Mm -hmm. But they can be addressed with intentional focus and effective support from our communities. Mm -hmm. so, so we have to know where people are to be able to help or support them. So black youth, non-white youth, and youth with no college experience, correct? Yeah, yeah. non-white so, youth in rural communities. Non-white youth in rural communities. Okay, okay, um, with no college experience. So let's take the young people with no college experience. What are the trends you're seeing with them? Well, I think first and foremost is that typically when you're not within that traditional higher education pipeline, you're working. And if we're looking at different states with different rules and policies about the accessibility of the ballot, if you make it so that I can't vote on weekends, I can't use certain formats of IDs, the lines are on average four hours long. If I work a double shift and I'm 25, this might not be the best investment of my time, even if I do care about my community, because I have other priorities at play. Mm -hmm. And I also think that when we're looking at this population of young people who feel less empowered, I believe the number comes down to less than one in five have heard from a political party or community organization this year thus far. So 2023 going into 2024 and 35% of youth feel supported to act on their political concerns, but less feel like they're informed. Mm -hmm. So if you're not in an environment like a college or university or other higher education mm -hmm. format, they're typically bringing candidates on your campus to give seminars and keynotes. Yes. They're typically bringing politics into your classroom. Your friends and their organizations on campus are going to be bringing politics into your personal and social life. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of direct opportunities to learn about politics, to debate them, to see how they play out in your local community. But when you're working, when you're outside of that paradigm, you often have to go out of your way or be directly and explicitly supported in having the information and motivation and passion necessary to get to the ballot box. Which is why, again, we have to provide unique attention to that population. Mm -hmm. Which I find to be interesting. The Lenfest Institute for Journalism 
uh, started a, 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 a program, let's call it, that uh, invites folks to go into the communities and reach people where they are. It's called Every Voice, Every Vote, right? And they have been giving monies to different organizations to go right where those people are, right? We'll go into their into their community centers, into their libraries, into... There were so many uh, uh, platforms that people were saturated. I thought that was such a great idea, and it will continue at least for the next couple of years. Years, um, especially in this presidential election, where they will find platforms for young people, for older people, anywhere you can think of. That we, if they were saturated throughout our communities, the the white youth in rural in rural communities, though, what is the what is the plan around them? Well, I think that you have to understand, and this is something that we struggle with at that national political working level, mm-hmm. is that young people are not a monolith. Mm-hmm. Where you are geographically, the resources in your community the ways in which your community deals with those issues mm-hmm. are all going to uniquely adjust how and when you vote. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about young people in the traditional urban environment, it's kind of obvious to see that, hey, let's talk about the buses and trains being on time. Mm-hmm. That's going to be bringing them to the table. Let's mm-hmm. talk about public schools in that urban environment and how they have less resources than their suburban counterparts mm-hmm. and how they're less likely to get informed and experienced teachers and what that means for that pipeline of education. So it's easy for us to identify that. But when you're rural, we're talking about industries moving out of your communities. Mm. We're looking at a lower rate of going to higher education, which means you're born there and you typically live there. That's Mm. where you're going to work. So the opportunities and resources there are directly framing what and how you're doing versus urban youth who have a lot of opportunities, even just being in Philly, that Amtrak for a relative like for a relatively affordable rate opens doorways and corduroys. Right to different communities and different environments. And you don't necessarily have that in rural communities. And I think that, especially when we're in states like Pennsylvania, where you have that juxtaposition between metropolitan centers versus rural, it's easy to identify with the coast. It's easy to identify with the capital. And that leaves miles of young people behind. So I think those are the really unique aspects of that work. Also, not necessarily in the case of Pennsylvania, but in other states more broadly, we're also seeing this push in legislation to allow young people in those rural environments, because this is really who it's targeting, to drop out of high school at 14 to work in factories. So what does that mean for how they're voting? What issue areas they're dealing with? So it's really complicated. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, You are so right. Mm, mm, mm. And Black youth. You know, they're talking about our Black, young Black people not voting. Um, How are you navigating around that in programming to get them more active in voting this year? Well, I think one thing that's been super important is leaning on those communities and organizations that have a historic presence when it comes to black and brown voters. Because what I think is oftentimes unfortunate, not just when we're talking about black voters broadly, but young black voters explicitly. And I think I might have said this the last time that I was on is that oftentimes we don't create a pipeline of as young people, are we talking to them about politics? Are we bringing them to local school board meetings? Are we making it clear that politics have a direct correlation to quality of life, to their access to resource? And so by the time they're 18, I already feel something about this voting system, I already feel empowered that I have access to the information necessary to vote responsibly. We just wait until you're 18 and then democracy's on you. And if you don't vote, it's your fault. And I feel like that's oftentimes the paradigm that national level organizations who don't have direct communications and direct relationships with those communities, that's the language that they're purveying. 
So I mm-hmm. think leaning on the NAACP, a lot of the work they do in the youth and field areas, when we look at Delta Sigma Theta and the Divine Nine and how they have that unique presence at HBCUs, mm-hmm. not just in HBCUs, but just in the Black communities and mm-hmm. systems of power more generally after graduation. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we have to take those opportunities. And I also mm-hmm. think ultimately we have to be that voice for ourselves and for our communities. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we're waiting on systems to support us when we can support us. So, for example, the league has a nonpartisan resource called Vote 411. It allows you to check your voter registration, find your polling place, learn about candidates and all that important information. Mm-hmm. And it has the nuances of being available in essentially every single state, including Pennsylvania. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's also a level of empowerment to say, hey, this is a resource that you can be showing to people in your life. This is a resource that you can be reviewing so that in conversations and in moments of opportunity, you're able to kind of sew in some important political conversation. The last question I have for you today, this is this is so informative. I love talking to you. Um, the the Israel-Palestine war and how it impacts the, the, the choices that our young voters are making. Are you hearing that conversation largely on a larger context? Do you believe it will impact your work at the league as it applies to, you know, because they are they are divided, split about this. They're talking about it and they're being told, well, you don't have a choice. You've got to vote. You know, if you want to keep your country X, Y, Z, is anyone addressing uh, young people's thoughts around the, the, the Israel-Palestine war? I think that that's been and I'm saying this redundantly. So everyone can roll their eyes. I'm going to say it. It's a complicated issue, but complicated doesn't mean there isn't a way to deal with it. And there aren't things right. that need to be stated around it. Mm-hmm. And what I think ultimately is kind of what I was saying earlier is one, young people care about how the United States is showing up in a broader like field of work and policy decisions and movement. Because one, we're dealing with a population where those issues don't just impact me theoretically, mm-hmm. but they impact my cousins, my family members mm-hmm. who are in those areas where we're making those policy decisions. Mm-hmm. And two, I myself am first generation, second generation. I'm directly connected to the international politics already. Mm-hmm. For me to vote is for me to think about the domestics and the international. And what I think is really frustrating for young people, especially is that one, I believe that they're still doing some data because that's evolving what people are saying and how people feel is changing. But the New York Times did a very baseline study with about a thousand people around this issue. And what we find is that where young voters stand is a direct almost flip from where voters stand more broadly or where older voters stand. So we see a disconnect there. So you get a policy decision that may be making older Americans feel seen and heard and like this is responsible. And then younger people feel like you're ignoring X, Y and Z. This is cruel. Mm -hmm. This is inhumane. Like Mm -hmm. even from putting aside where you even stand in the issue area, there are young people who are frustrated that they see a need of resource and infrastructure in their communities. But we're sending money overseas at all. Mm -hmm. And that's a really complicated question. Mm -hmm. And so I think ultimately. We're hold or we ought to be held responsible to how we show up in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that young people, even generationally outside of Gen Z, have always been a moral compass, have always been very invested in not just the economics Mm -hmm. and the tangible resource, but how does it feel to be American? And if young people don't feel like it feels good, if they can't feel like they're proud, then that Mm -hmm. impacts. And, And also what I would say is just that young voters have been very demonstrative of this issue. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there can be a frustration where you feel like there are protests, there are marches, there are calls, and my position isn't being represented. 
whatever right. that position is, if I feel like mm-hmm. I'm showing up and the systems of political representation aren't adjusting, mm-hmm. then I feel unseen. Mm-hmm. And maybe all of this wouldn't matter if we were dealing with the domestic issues and areas of support uh-huh. that young people need. Maybe yes. it wouldn't be because I'm not getting nothing over here. And there are some right. young voters who feel like I'm not getting anything over here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really running. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, those all I, are things that come into play. I, I, you know, I want to thank you so much. You've always been so forthright in your conversations with us. But, you know, I, I truly, I truly believe that on some level, young voters are marginalized because their votes are not taken as seriously. And that's going to be detrimental to us over time because young voters are overtaking in terms of numbers, right? Um, in our general elections. And so we have a lot of work to do. I look forward to having a conversation with you in February about more of this, especially as we get to, uh, uh, April is our, uh, Jesus. It's too many elections all the time. I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, uh, April is our primaries here in Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia. And, um, and so we have a lot to, lot to talk about as we get closer. So, uh, I want you to tell us when you, when you come back in February, how young voters can impact elections where they have been summarily, um, ignored for so long. Because I've seen it happen. I'm, we're watching it happen here in Philadelphia. Uh, people who they never thought would get into office are getting into office because young people are fi- figuring out other ways to vote on, on a different lens. And what will that mean for the two party system here in these United States of America? Can we do that? Absolutely. Thank you, Niall. How can people reach you if they want to find you? So um, my email with the league is nblass at lwv.org. And we also have general channels of inquiry and support. So if it's a young voter question or something me specific, uh, we have a team that can direct you. Okay. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Please go tell your parents. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> oh, thank you. And it's likewise. <laughs> All right. No, I'll talk to you soon, darling. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.